0: Welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing technology and life. This is episode 36, best of Digital Marketing Happy Hour 2020, and it starts right now.
1: Digital Marketing Happy Hour is brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, visit araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com.
0: Well, Chris, as we are celebrating the best of 2020 on Digital Marketing Happy Hour, we have to celebrate with a drink. What are you having in front of you today?
1: Well, we are wrapping up what has been one of the more interesting years, I think, in a, in a long time, finishing up the holiday season here, and I am back in the bourbon spirit. I got some Knob Creek Kentucky bourbon for Christmas, and I am enjoying that today. What about you, Ryan? What are you drinking?
0: When it comes to celebrations, I love to go to the bubbles. So I'm not a huge champagne drinker. I really gravitate to a Prosecco. So I have a marker in front of me and you know what? Cheers to uh, the success of, of this podcast in 2020. Absolutely.
1: Cheers, my friend. So we have our beverages in hand. Let's get started. He's Ryan Smith. I'm Chris Casale. Thank you for joining us this week on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. If you're new to our podcast, then welcome. And if you're a repeat listener, thank you for coming back. And if you continue to find value in the podcast, We ask that you kindly leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you listen to this podcast on.
0: In this episode, we'll look back at some of the best moments on Digital Marketing Happy Hour with some remarkable guests covering all things digital marketing. And Chris, when we look back and when we started this, I don't think we truly knew the quality of guests that we were going to get on this podcast in 2020.
1: No, you know, 2020 has been a roller coaster of a year for a whole host of reasons, you know, COVID-19, notwithstanding uh, all of that. But I think when everything happened, you know, we've been talking about doing this podcast for years. And it's funny how it takes a global crisis to get us to actually sit down and take the time to do it. But I agree with you. I think, you know, when we kicked this off and we started doing this at the beginning of all of this. We were just looking to add a little value, have a little fun, and hopefully a few people would listen. And each of us had sort of come up with these lists of our top three guests that like, if you could pick anybody that you would love to have the opportunity to interview, who would they be, right? And so we each took the time to do that. And lo and behold, in our very first year on the podcast, each of us got one of our guests. And how cool is that? I mean, really?
0: Yeah, you know, it kind of, it felt like sort of came out of nowhere for us, but you know what? It it just takes a little bit of reaching out and we were able to kind of snag some of these guests. So I think the first one that we're going to take a look back is, as we call the, uh, the godfather of MarTech, is Scott Brinker.
1: Yeah, that was a big one for me. And, you know, you and I have talked about this. I've been following Scott's work for a very, very long time, uh, reading a lot of his material. And I always felt like he was writing very specifically to me. But I reached out to him and we had the opportunity to interview him. And I thought it was a fantastic episode. It's one of our most listened to episodes. You can go back and check it out. It's episode 19, Why SMBs Have a Distinct Advantage in Martech with Scott Brinker. And I could tell you why I had him on the podcast, but we already did that during that episode. So let's just play the clip where uh, I explain why that was such an important opportunity for me to have Scott on the program. I got to say, I can't even tell you how excited we are to have you here. And part of the reason for that is when Ryan and I started recording the podcast, we each came up with sort of our secret list of like our, you know, if you could, if you could have any, th- you know, three people in the world, who would, who would, who would they be? And you were top of my list. And before you think I'm just sucking up to the the, the guest, uh, let me provide a little context. As Ryan mentioned, you know, back in 2011, uh, we both happened to be working for the same tech company here in the Tampa area. And I was on the web development side of things. And our, our listeners know a little bit of my backstory, but just to provide a little more detail, my bachelor's is in computer science. So I had been a software developer for years. The company that I joined here in Tampa I was the web developer sitting with the marketing department, and Ryan was in charge of marketing strategy at the time, which was how we sort of met. It's sort of ironic because I was a web developer with the company which was tucked into the marketing department, which I would argue is probably where it makes sense. But their vision was that a web developer was not quite a software developer, and so it was kind of this relegated to the side thing. I actually didn't mind that because I love the work that we were doing. I love the impact that we were having. Uh, Part of the reason I went into web is that I didn't want to necessarily have to create these fancy algorithms that I couldn't see the output of. I wanted to see how people were using the technology. So it was this weird feeling of I, I like it, but I don't know quite where I fit. Fast forward a few years ago. I was getting on a plane to visit a friend of mine uh, in Boston, ironically. Uh, And when I get on a plane, despite all of the Kindle and Audible and all the digital stuff I have, I love to just hold a magazine. And I happened to stop off at the magazine stand and pick up a copy of Harvard Business Review, which I have kept all these years. Oh, wow. It's the original. (laughs) And I, you know, you're getting on a plane, reading, flipping through the articles. And I came across this article titled, The Rise of the Chief Marketing Technologist. And I can't tell you... I don't know if any of you have ever had a moment where you're reading something that you feel like was written for you that you can see yourself in. And it was this sort of eureka moment for me of like, oh, oh, my God, I'm not crazy. This is actually a role. This is important. And so I guess my first question for you is what was the genesis of that? Because I guess in my mind, because it's so near and dear to my heart, I sort of see this back to the future Doc Brown moment, you know, hitting your head and waking up with the, the idea for the flux capacitor. You know, what was, what was your realization of it? And could you have ever imagined, you know, this is the July, August, 2014 issue, so many years later, what this movement would grow into?
2: Yeah, wow, it's, um, I mean, it has been the rise of a net new profession. You know, I think, um, uh, yeah, so a little bit of my background uh, is sort of through the late 90s and then through the early 2000s, uh, I was running the tech group at a web development agency And so our agency would get hired by the marketing departments of these Fortune 500 companies because it was marketing that had, you know, the budget and, you know, had big dreams of, you know, what they could do on the web. But since I was running the tech team at the agency, it would then be my role once we got the engagement to go and talk to the IT department at that company because the marketing department and the IT department couldn't actually talk to each other. It wasn't that they hated each other. It, it wasn't like there's was an animosity. It was frankly more of just like, they literally did not know how to talk to each other. They were just living in a different worlds with different objectives and different language. And so as I was like, yeah, shuttling back and forth uh, between these uh, two departments, it just, two things struck me. It's like, yeah, wow. I mean, the, the the gap there was wide, but also when you were looking at what the businesses were ultimately trying to achieve and execute, it was so clear that these groups were going to have to work together. And so that's where I got really fascinated by other professionals who were serving as the bridges between these departments. And yeah, I mean, uh, I didn't actually come up with the name chief marketing technologist. Someone else had suggested, oh, hey, maybe there should be a a role of someone who's explicitly designated to, you know, bridge these two departments. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, that started the blog. And, you know, for the first from 2008 till, yeah, 2014, you know, it really was a ragtag band of, you know, individuals like yourself. i, I myself in that same category of like it was clear there was value being created here but it was such a new role you know these technologists in the marketing department what was that all about that yeah it was you know I, I I think almost all of us at that age uh, you know stage of this felt like a bit isolated and like okay I'm I'm doing this I know there's something good here but it's like I can't go on LinkedIn and like find you know a hundred other people who like are doing exactly what I'm doing. What do people even call me? You know, and so yeah, it was really as momentum started to build that finally, uh, Harvard Business Review actually reached out to me about that, where they said they were starting to hear more and more of these stories uh you know just among their audience and so that's how they found me and asked me to write that article and so i think that was kind of a bit of a turning point where suddenly what was yeah this, this very underneath the the radar unofficial role started to yeah actually become a you know a credible profession
1: So that's a little bit of the background there. That was a very personal story for me and a real, real treat to have Scott on the program. But in addition to the fact that it was just so cool from a personal standpoint, Scott added a lot of value. And one of the first things that we talked about on that podcast was marketing technology stacks. And you know, the, the title of the episode is Why SMBs Have a Distinct Advantage. Well, larger organizations can afford more technology, which generally makes it easier for them to reach customers. So one of the things we talked about with Scott was, you know, what type of technology stack do you need and what advantages do big businesses versus small businesses have?
2: And here's how we answered that. Yeah. So let me allow me a slight detour. Um, Sure. The way that came about was I was going to moderate a panel of some CMOs at some conference. You know, and it was going to be like strategies for your marketing technology or something like that. And so one of the things I suggested to the panelists before they came is I said, listen, if you want to, you know, like, yeah, share your stack with people, like, I'll just ask you one question, get things going saying, oh, yeah, these are the tools we use. And then we'll move on to the next questions. So we get there for the day of that. And like, we never get past the first question because first of all, like each of the panelists is so intent on like explaining all the details of which products they used and why and how they came together, which, okay, you know, you might be like, okay, well, maybe just the panelists were obsessed with that. But then the audience, oh, they were like into it. And they were raising, well, why did you choose that one? For, oh, yeah. And let me tell you, okay, well, how do you get this one to work with that? And you, you know, and so the entire session, like a 45-minute session, became just like these three marketers like walking through their stacks. I'm like, all right, there's something here. Um, and so yeah, that 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 stackies contest we do every year, which again, contest to be honest, it's less about like picking a winner because hey, you know, a, a great stack is a stack that serves your business well, but it's become such an incredible community asset. For marketers to share their concepts of how they pull these things together, and for us to just learn from each other. So I think, it, yeah, that all, all that detour gets me back to you know I think one of the things that is a pattern that's very clear is the companies who are doing well with this are very intentional about their martech stacks. You know, the I think the popular opinion sometimes is like, oh, marketers, it's just shiny object syndromes. So I'll just try any like random technology and throw it in. And to be honest, I just don't think that's a very fair charge. I think actually the, most of these people who have these elaborate stacks, they've thought very carefully about which pieces they're picking and what purpose they serve and how they work together. And I think they get a lot; they should get a lot more credit for the thoughtfulness that's gone into that already.
0: Yeah, Chris, I thought it was really an interesting to hear that distinct advantage that SMBs have. And I think going into it, you automatically assume if your enterprise with the big budget's you have the most advantage. So hearing Scott's perspective, I thought just shed a whole new light on MarTech. And with that, the next thing was, how big of a role does budget play with success in implementing MarTech in
2: SMBs and any business? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it can play less of a role today than ever. You know, I mean, part of the process of examining the MarTech landscape every year, uh, we end up like visiting every website, every one of those uh, technology, just part of the validation of, you know, making sure these folks are real and what they're doing, you know, and so as part of that exercise, I'm always looking through, you know, pricing pages have become a lot more, uh, you know, common, which is a great thing for transparency in the industry. And the truth is there's just amazing technology here in MarTech today that's just not that expensive. Uh-huh. In fact, if anything, this is why I feel, frankly, I think SMBs, are getting to a place where they have some real advantage over their larger competitors in Martech because they can now afford you know, some stuff that's truly state of the art, but the advantage they have over their larger competitors is they're able to actually adjust their, you know, like strategy and implementation and operation around those much more quickly and experiment with it versus, you know, in a larger company, anytime you want to, you know, change the way things, you know, are connected or, you know, who's doing what, you know, it just, it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of money spent on MarTech, but I, I don't feel like budget is the bottom neck now for people doing great things in this space
1: so as you can see smbs do have a distinct advantage and there's a lot of opportunities there and if you want more great intel on marketing technology uh, go back and check out episode 19 why smbs have a distinct advantage in martech with scott brinker that was truly my 2020 fanboy moment of the year and i really truly am grateful to scott for coming on the program and, and talking to us about martech speaking of fanboy moments Ryan, you had one of your own in 2020. Who was yeah. your guest?
0: Yeah, my uh, my moment came when we had uh, really just two weeks later. So we kind of had them almost back to back where we had Jay Bear on the podcast in episode 21. And for me, when I really started getting into digital marketing, it was right around the late 2000s, you know, 07, I would say is about when I started. But a couple of years later, I started to discover Jay Bear's. I'm trying to do research and trying to really get a better understanding of it. And then I had a chance to see Jay speak live at Social Media Examiner's uh, conference out in San Diego, and it was fantastic to you know learn from him. But also, he has a little bit of his own stage presence that I thought was really great. And so you know, all these years later to have him on our podcast to me was just really exciting. And he couldn't be more gracious, you know, just like Scott Brinker, uh, Jay Bear, totally gracious. And what you see, you know, from them on video. And when you read their blogs is really the same that you get in person and interviewing them. So the first thing I wanted to learn about is you know, what are the similarities that Jay is running into with his business that maybe you were running into as well? So ask Jay, how did the pandemic affect his business, Convince and Convert?
3: Yeah, we, we swung into it pretty hard. We first day created a ton of content assets from the utility perspective, right? Make your marketing so useful that people would pay for it. We really tried to live that premise and have created one, two, three, four, five, six, six different... Uh, kind of ebook white papers on helping customers through the pandemic. And we've created five, tomorrow will be our sixth webinar um, as well. So we're trying to take what we've learned and what we know and give it away one bite at a time as is the utility thesis. We also doubled the size of our sales and marketing operation um, instantaneously because we just wanted to have more conversations with clients. Uh, on the consulting side, we're down a little uh, for the year versus last mm-hmm. year, but but not appreciably. The speaking side is down as well, big surprise, because all the conferences have been canceled. However, it's not down very much because I'm very, very fortunate in that I have done a lot of virtual speaking for a decade, right? So this idea of doing mm-hmm. webinars and online keynotes is not foreign to me, and I've got a lot of AV equipment to make that happen. And so I'm doing 10 events a month right now online, which is which is terrific. So uh, it's kind of nice not having to travel all around and get to, you know, still wear the plaid suit, but sit in my own home.
0: In keeping with the theme of the pandemic, one of the things that was really interesting is Jay wrote this book, Utility, several years ago, almost 10 years ago now. And what I thought was really interesting about the book Utility is all these years later, it is relevant, and it might even be more relevant in 2020 and 2021 than it even was back when he originally wrote it. So I asked Jay about that.
3: So crazy, man! I wish I would have. I wish I would have written that book this year. I mean, because I think <laughs> it's actually more true than ever. As it one hundred percent, yeah. Absolutely. As it turns out, yeah. Um, I mean, look, fifty four percent of customers have, since the pandemic, purchased one or more things from a business that they've never purchased from before, and eighty nine percent of those customers say that they are probably going to stay with this new provider. So what that means is that we're seeing huge market share shifts more than ever, quicker than ever, because market share tends to be stable in good times and tends to change in bad times. And certainly this qualifies as bad times for many people. And that's why right now, because everybody is uncertain, everybody is anxious, brands are built in bad times. Brands are not built in good times. Right, you can sustain a brand at a good time, but you don't build a brand at a good time because it's all good. Like, what what are you gonna do for me that I don't expect? Right, when it's all good, it's all good. Right now, I'll tell you a little story. Here in Bloomington, Indiana, where I live, there is a local uh, craft distillery called Cardinal Spirits, owned by some good buddies of mine, Uh, and there is you know they're a successful distillery mostly here in in our general area, but they're doing getting some of their spirits um, distributed in in East Coast uh, big cities and stuff. They're they're smart guys. They're great at marketing. Well, when the pandemic hit, they shifted almost immediately to making hand sanitizer. As you may know, many distilleries did that. Same process, pretty easy. Well, they gave away tons of hand sanitizer to the hospital, the schools, first responders, et cetera, and, and everybody in the community thought that was great. Well, they kept you know, making some booze because you got to stay in business. And so what they would do, and they still do this, is every morning they would put a post on their Instagram and it would say, good morning, Bloomington, uh, here at Cardinal Spirits, we figured out here's what we need to sell today to keep the lights on. We need to sell 18 four packs of cocktails, uh, six cocktail kits and you know whatever. And if you buy anything from us, you get free hand sanitizer because we want you to be safe. People would go in, buy stuff online, pick up in the you know uh, contactless pickup. At the end of the day, or or whenever they kind of hit the threshold, so usually it's like maybe three, four o'clock, they would post again and say, Bloomington, you did it. Thank you so much for your support. We have met our bottom line goals for today. For the rest of today, please take your time and money and support a different local business. Hmm, That's amazing. That's what builds brands. If you did that in a good time, it'd be like, meh right? It's a story that doesn't resonate in a different scenario. Mm -hmm. In this scenario where you sort of have it, like we're kind of all in this together at some level, it has huge, huge ramifications. And are they going to succeed disproportionately when things come back uh, to where they were at some level? Yes, I believe so. I really do. And I mean this sincerely. Nobody is pro-pandemic, certainly. Right. But it is also probably probably the greatest opportunity you will have to build your business in your whole life because of these shifts in in market share. And I firmly believe that how you handle your business for the next six months will have a material impact on your success over the next six years. And the utility philosophy of like, look, as long as you can afford to do it, and I know some people are literally hand to mouth right now, but as long as you can afford to do it in your business, giving away value right now will pay off huge down the road. I, I really, really believe that to be true. And it's great to see evidence of people like Cardinal Spirits believing in it.
1: You know, it's funny, Ryan, I remember when you came back from that conference and were telling me about Jay Bear and the book Utility and I finally got a chance to read it uh, just this year, ironically. And you know, Jay's point about wishing that he had written it this year because it seems more relevant than ever. So spot on. What a a great book and uh, what a great point by him. One theme that comes up consistently throughout this podcast, and Jay brought it up as well, is the importance of content and content marketing. And one of the questions that was asked is how frequently do people need to produce content? And this was Jay's response.
3: I don't think of it so much, Ryan, as a cadence, but more as a bingo card. And let me tell you what I mean by that we have a a principle that we use at Convince and Convert for client work um, called the five by five by five. And the five by five by five works like this. You take your key customer personas. Let's say there are five. And then you look at sort of the classic purchase funnel. Awareness, interest, consideration, purchase, advocacy, et cetera. What we do is we create a grid with our clients and say, For each of these personas and each of these funnel steps, what are the five questions that must successfully be answered for the customer to move to the next level? It's like shoots and ladders informationally. No one's going to buy unless they know what it costs. No one's going to buy unless they know what happens if they don't like it. And so you document all these questions. Five by five by five equals 125, 125 pieces of content that you theoretically need. Now, in reality, you don't actually need 125 for two reasons. One, the five different personas don't have fully distinct question sets. And you probably have some content already created. So what we find generally, and this is even for big companies, you, you, we end up when we do a gap analysis of you know 50 or 60 questions that are pretty important to answer that are not really answered easily um, by the company. And then you just go out and you methodically create content to address those. Might be a video, might be a podcast, might be a blog post, might be an ebook, might be a webinar, whatever. You, you answer those questions uh, methodically. And then how and when you roll those out kind of depends on your own cadence. But, but I guess I would say a very complicated answer to a very simple question, Ryan, would be, if you're not making content at least weekly, I guess the question I would ask is why?
0: Yeah, this podcast was loaded with tons of value and information from Jay. And the the last thing that we asked him was, you know, what are the things that matter most to your customers? Of all the things that Jay talks about, it seems simple, but it's completely overlooked. So let's listen to Jay.
3: The three things you should focus on are how to be quick, clear, and kind. If you can be disproportionately responsive if you can be disproportionately informational and reduce sort of confusion, and if you can be disproportionately empathetic, if you can just focus on those three things. And the recommendation I make in that keynote is, if you can be 15% faster, 15% um, more understandable or less confusing, and 15% more empathetic within 90 days, you will be well on your way to delivering that coveted customer experience, which inoculates you against low price and operational deficiencies. Quick, clear and kind.
0: So those were just some of the highlights from Jay Baer's episode 21, how to rewire your customer experience with Jay Bear. There's a lot more you know, info in there, so please go check that out. Those weren't the only guests that really brought it in 2020. The next guest we have was uh, Jason Osborne who came to us from England.
1: Yeah, we're calling this our mega value guest segment. And, you know, I wasn't as familiar with Jason until we had the opportunity to talk to him on the podcast. And I was sort of blown away. Like, you know, you know that the guests that you're going to get have a lot of expertise in a lot of different areas, but sometimes their ability to explain it, also the vibe, you know, it's interesting. I think there's certain guests that we've had that have been excellent and they added a lot of value. And then there's others that have added value, but we've also kind of vibed with. And, you know, it makes for really good storytelling because it really does feel like we're just sitting at a bar and telling marketing war stories, as it were. And I kind of feel like we developed that rapport with Jason Osborne early on and his experience, you know, talking to us about, you know, the Rethink Academy. And one of the things that we talk about on this podcast all the time, if you're a listener, is the importance of knowing your audience and making sure that you've got your personas or your ideal customer avatars and knowing exactly who you're reaching. And that was one of the first things that Jason
4: talked about and the importance of niching down. Here's what he had to say. As you said, Ryan, it's really important that people do niche down into what they're doing. And and I like what you said. People are afraid of that. They're really concerned about niching down. And it's one of the things that we chat through with our clients all the time. I, I'm constantly having these conversations because being able to niche down is really important. One of the, so rethink uh, for the social media, each letter stands for something. And the first two, it's R, which is uh, your right niche. And then E, which is evaluating your avatar. And it's important that you're able to do both of those, getting really clear on that. Because if you don't, what happens is you fall into what I call a commodity market, where you're just lumping yourself into a group of other people that do similar sorts of stuff to you, and you end up competing on price. You know, it can any it be a you know, personal trainer, life coach, you could be an accountant, you know, solicitor or whatever, niching down and getting really clear on who your target market is. What's the outcome? that you're able to help them to achieve. Being really clear on that's important. As soon as you start going really broad, we always tell people, if you try to speak to everybody, you'll end up speaking to nobody. So, and and it, it, it's kind of cliche, but it's so true. Niching
0: down is so important as, as Jason talked about. And as, as we mentioned in the past, you know the riches are in the niches. Another valuable point that Jason also brought up was the fact that if you try to speak to everybody, You'll end up speaking to nobody.
4: Uh, let me give you an example of one of our clients. Um, he's an, an IFA, which is an independent financial advisor. I think I've been gone from the states so long, I can't even remember what they're called in the states anymore, but a financial advisor. And um, when he came to us, he uh that's what how he was positioned, is what he had was positioned on LinkedIn. I'm a financial, I'm an independent financial advisor. Done, right? That's okay. So one of the things that I said to him, this is what I work with a process through a lot of my clients with is I said, okay, imagine you're in your office or now in our home office. Okay. Imagine you're in your office and you're, and you've got two prospects. Okay. Prospect A and prospect B. Your first prospect comes and sits down and they say, Hey, Chris, I want, I want you to help me with these two things. Now you're professional. You're smiling on the outside. You can help them. You're qualified to do it, but on the inside, you're like, God, I hate doing this type of work. It just drains me. I don't get any enjoyment or satisfaction from it. Um, it may or may not pay well, but particularly if it doesn't pay well, you're like, God, I don't even get paid good for this for this service I'm providing, right? You don't want to focus on that type of client because you're gonna hate what you do, right? But if you have prospect B come sit down and they say, Hey, Chris, can you help me out with these two things? Now you're not just smiling on the end on the outside, but on the inside, you're going, man, I'd love this stuff. Like if I had these clients every single day, I would I'd be a happy man. Right. And as soon as I said that, he said, pensions. And I was like, pensions. God, not the answer I was looking for because they don't seem really exciting to me, right? He's like, no, pensions. I was like, okay, cool. Why? Why pensions? He goes, he goes, Man, I love working with people with pensions that have a high net worth because I have a way of being able to restructure their pensions where they can retire up to 10 years early. And I was like, whoa, 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 What? And he's like, yeah. I was like, why are you marketing yourself as an IFA? Like, as soon as you put yourself in as, an, as a financial advisor, people just, oh yeah, I know what you do. But if you position yourself where I help high net individuals to retire up to 10 years early by restructuring their pensions, That's a game changer. And that's exactly what we did. Repositioned what he did. In six weeks, he generated an additional 30,000 pounds of business just because he'd restructured and repositioned what he was doing, who his target market was. It brought him his ideal prospects. Earns a lot of money off commissions, doing um, pensions and stuff like that. So that's what I—that's what I always advise people is look at that sort of thing. What is it that you're really good at that you love doing, that you know you can get results from people, and what type of people that do you work with that get those best types of results? Okay, so he could work with anyone to restructure their pensions. But the best results and the people he loves to work with is the high, high net earners or high net worth people. So that's, that's what I say to my clients. So once you've
1: niched down, once you've identified your audience, once you've found your customer, as it were, and I thought Jason's stories were excellent there, we always ask our guests for one takeaway. And Jason's really kind of surprised me. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, of all the things he could have picked, this is what he had to say. The one takeaway
4: is stand out. Stand out. Don't be normal. Don't be a commodity. What makes you different? Different, And how can you stand out and add more value than your competition?
1: Good advice from Jason Osborne. And you can learn a lot more if you go back and check out Episode 28, Rethink Your Marketing Strategy with Jason Osborne. Truly a pleasure to have him on the show. Jason will be launching his own podcast in 2021, and Ryan and I hope to be guests on it in the not-too-distant future here. Speaking of mega-value guests, we had an opportunity over the summer to interview Neil Schaefer, and Ryan and I were very familiar with Neil's work very appreciative that he chose to come on the podcast. His book had been out for a little while at the time, The Art of Influence. And we had just done an episode talking about the importance of, you know, micro influencers in the social media space. So having Neil on was truly a tremendous opportunity. Ryan, I know you were really excited about that interview. What stood out to you?
0: Yeah, I was really excited to have Neil Schaefer on the podcast. Sometimes you bring guests on and you think it's going to go well. And then sometimes you bring guests on and you know it's going to go well. And Neil was one that not only did we know it was going to go well, it went well. And I think from soup to nuts, Neil Schaefer brought it probably more so than I would say possibly any other guest, arguably, that we had in, in 2020. And some of the things that Neil talked about in his book, The Age of Influence. How is influencer marketing and word of mouth similar? And the big thing really was getting it down, which I thought was crucial in 2020, is what is the difference between micro-influencers and nano-influencers?
5: Even in this influencer marketing industry, which defines influence by number of followers, which is not accurate by any means, and is very focused on Instagram, you know, a few years they started talking about micro-influencers, people that had 10,000 followers. Now they talk about nano influencers, people that have 1000 followers. So now you look around you, you look at your employees, you look at your customers, you look at your partners, you look at your social media followers. There's a lot of people out there that have a 1000 followers that you can tap into. And when you tap into people that already like, know and trust your brand, which is what I'm a proponent of, it doesn't necessarily cost money, right? You can get, a, you, you can do a lot with free product with giving unique experiences with, you know, collaborating in unique ways. And I'd also say that, you know, tapping into influencers for content amplification may not be as valuable as tapping into influencers for content creation. So you don't have to make any more content. You can purely leverage all the people around you that already like, know, and trust your brand.
1: Yeah, talking about the different types of influencers with Neil was awesome, but this was the episode where Neil dropped probably one of the most important things on the podcast all year because we, we later went on and did another series of episodes based on it where he talked about the three pillars of digital marketing. Here's what he had to say.
5: You know, today you need to do search, you need to do social, you need to do email. These are the three you know, pillars of digital marketing and every one of them requires content. Right. You can't do any of those without content. So if you're going to have content, what is that content going to look like? And if you're just doing content based around products and services, you missed out, miss out on, on all the Google searches and all the conversations and social related to things related to those products or services or the, the, the problems that they solve. So once you start getting into that, you get into the sort of the storytelling, you get into tapping into the voices of your customers, what have you. And that becomes blog content, that becomes social media content, right? So it really is a natural extension. If you want to be successful in business today, you really need to figure that out and get the courage. And maybe if you don't have the courage, you hire someone or you partner with someone that can show you the way that's been there, done that, that can help give you that courage. And I I think the big thing that Neil
0: talked about here is the three pillars, right? Obviously, when we talk about it, search, you know, social media and email, and to me, It all comes back to the one thing they all have in common that Neil says it's it's content. And you hear the old, you know, adage content is king. You can call content whatever you want. You know, king, it's it rules, you know, social media could be the gasoline, but it everything comes back to content. And that truly is what fuels digital marketing. You can't have advertising if you don't have content, you know, whether it's video, you know, an image that's all content related. So I just loved how Neil sort of wrapped it up. And honestly, this is something that we really kind of went forward with on Digital Marketing Happy Hour as a theme in 2020 was the three pillars of digital marketing.
1: Yeah, without question. I don't know what we would have done with the month of November if it wasn't for Neil's contribution on the three pillars of digital marketing.
0: So please go check out episode 15, Art of Influence with Neil Schaefer. Speaking of content... One of the areas that we do receive a lot of inquiries about, and it's probably one of the areas that we're most active, would be on LinkedIn. And so, the next two guests that we're going to talk about LinkedIn is going to be a central theme. And we just thought that there was so much value to be gained. And we're going to start off with Bryn Tillman in Episode Twenty: How to Maximize Your LinkedIn Social Selling with Bryn Tillman. One of the things I think we all have learned and have received that we all hate. It's the whole when you connect someone on LinkedIn and they immediately pitch you or, you know, you're getting pitch slapped, as we've later learned. Bryn talks about don't connect and pitch and you need to earn the right to have a conversation.
6: Right. We've got to get there first. So how do you get there? Well, the first thing is we have to know what matters to them, not what matters to me, what matters to you. It's not what I want you to know. It's what you want to learn, absorb, consume, right? So I have to truly understand what matters to my prospect. And if I do not know their challenge, I am never going to earn the right to have the conversation. So you've got to do that. So I know we're doing a lot of what do you have to do first, but it's the only way it works. Next, when you create to that content or... Curate that content or go to engage on a piece of content with your own insight. You have to master the ask offer ratio. The ask offer ratio is I'm asking you for 38 seconds to read my stuff. At the end of that 38 seconds, you are going to walk away with one of three feelings. It was a bait and switch. What a waste of my time. And a lot of that is I ask you to read an article and the topic is better than the content, right? Lots of bait and switch. But what's even more prevalent is the neutral. Neutral does not earn you the right to have a conversation. If I just invested 36 seconds to read something and at the end of that it was barely worth my 36 seconds, it didn't hurt your reputation, but there's nothing compelling for me to want to have a conversation, that was a waste of your content, of your time, of uh, of whatever you've put out there. We need to be compelling at least 80% of the time. We need someone to ta- want to take action. What does take action mean? It could be as little as I reacted with a like. It could be I commented. It could be a thank you for sending me that. Or in, in, in some cases, I may reach out with, hey, I, you know, thanks for connecting with me on LinkedIn. I noticed you're a CEO. We have a webinar coming up on this and this. If you're interested, let me know. I'll send you a link didn't send the link. I asked them permission to send the link and their reaction might be, oh, thanks, I'd love that. You're going to get way more opt-ins when you you ask permission than when you push. You earn the right because you respected their inbox, right? Mm -hmm. So just all, you've got to, and now they read this and you create a curiosity and if you can create curiosity without disrespecting their you know their inbox right disrespecting their time they're like wow that was interesting and and many don't respond but the ones that do are the ones that are interested but you have to ha- create curiosity get them thinking a little bit differently than they did before they opened it up or they read it and potentially teach them something new that they didn't think about before if you can master Those three master the ask offer ratio.
1: Yeah, Bryn was a phenomenal guest and we're calling these sort of our surprise value guests. Not that we're surprised that they brought value, but I think when you look at a podcast between, you know, 30 minutes and an hour long, there's only so much value you can provide in an audio format. And we feel like these two guests did such a phenomenal job with this that we left feeling like we had mounds of material and and value that was provided to the audience. Bryn's episode was fantastic. I will tell you, you know, one of the things I love LinkedIn as a social network. It's probably my favorite of the social networks. And yet it scares me how bad it's gotten over the last year in terms of people just reaching out and pitching. And at least some of them are kind enough to do it in the connect request so I can hit ignore. Others are sneakier and like to wait till I connect and then pitch me on stuff. And it's really ruining the platform. And Brin talks about some ways that. You can do a better job with connecting and earning that right to have a conversation, which makes it better not only for you you know, as the receiver of it, but from the sales side. Those of you that are in sales, there is a better way, and Bryn talks about it. Go back and check out episode 20. In addition to Bryn, we had the opportunity to bring Nat Bibby on the program. Nat is a friend of the podcast, and on episode 12, he shared some proven LinkedIn strategies to boost your brand. There were a lot of valuable parts of that conversation, but I'm not going to lie, Ryan, one of the things that cracked me up is it was very late at night for him. He had just gotten done recording Monday Night Live on LinkedIn. It was earlier in the day for us, and so we had him on the podcast, and he was super excited about it, and this intro always cracks me up. Take a listen.
0: Nat is staying a socially distant 12,000 miles away from us in Perth, Australia. Nat, welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Yes, I'm on the happy hour. It's a bit early for you guys, isn't it, for happy hour? You, you know, um, it's never too early to uh, to <laughs> crack open any sort of beverage with that, you know. Nat, do you have any specific beverage in hand?
7: I have a beer in the fridge I can uh, could grab quite easily. Um, do you guys have a beverage in hand? I'm curious. Being that it's, what, six o'clock in the morning there? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite
0: that early. Yeah, Nat is an absolute blast. So happy and fortunate that we had the chance you know to meet him on the show and and actually later we were on uh, Nat's show out of Australia but he's great so please check him out and you know it's a great podcast episode and i think his one takeaway really did sum up the whole thing when Nat talked about the size of your connections it really comes down to quality over quantity here's Nat's take on it
7: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I still want to be proactive. Like, if I'm going to train a superannuation company, you know, I want to be able to connect with the people that attend the training. So, I yeah, I always do. I'm culling, and so I just I'll do a search for. It's interesting. I used to search for people that would be the ideal client. Now I'm searching for people that will not be the ideal client. You know, and you know, I get some people write to me and say why did you disconnect with me? Um, unfortunately you know, this is, this is what I'm using it for is for my business. And if they're, you know, if they're not in my target audience, then, then I would prefer to prioritize somebody that is, they they can still follow you. They can still consume your content. It's unfortunate that you just can't connect with them, but maybe that, maybe that'll change in the future. I'm not sure, but yeah, I definitely do. I do go through and color because I I wasn't, you know, like extremely disciplined with how targeted I was right from the start. I've kind of learned that as, as I've gone and you know, I've, I, I was connect, uh, accepting a lot of connection requests at the start from people that send them to me. So yeah, I'm getting a lot of people out of my network that are in countries that I don't deal with, um, in industries I don't deal with and, and are sending out spam messages and stuff like that. So yeah.
1: Good advice from Nat. And we definitely recommend if you're interested in learning more about LinkedIn, go back and check out episode 12, Proven LinkedIn Strategies to Boost Your Brand with Nat Bibby. Ryan and I have had a ton of fun creating this podcast over the last year. And the truth is we could spend hours talking about all the excellent guests that we've had and the amazing conversations that we've had. But a few quick hits, few things that we want to call out. We had an opportunity to interview Evan Morgenstein over the summer and he talked to us about how to get started as a micro-influencer. A lot of great value. That is episode 13 of the podcast. But for me, the one thing that stood out in that episode is he talks about the difference between passion and authenticity. Here's what Evan had to say. Right? It's about passion. You know, I hear people talk about authenticity. You know what? I hear authenticity so much. It makes me want to puke because nobody's authentic. You know, if some company comes along and says, I'm going to offer you a hundred thousand dollars, I don't care what it is. You're like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that deal. Right? So the word authentic is like everybody sort of grows into authenticity, but the thing you can't fake is passion. And so if you're a company looking for people to be the face of your brand or to push your brand, you want passion. If you are a influencer and you want to be found, you want to have passion, right? So the, the word of the day is passion. You need to be passionate or otherwise
0: in this marketplace, you'll never be found. Yeah. Evan was a blast. He's a funny, funny guy and really had a great conversation with him all about the uh, micro influencer. Transition to the micro influencer, which we know is all about content and Our next guest to talk about is Melanie Diesel. This was from episode 22, How to Create a Content Marketing Framework. And I talked about on that episode, just my personal struggles of always trying to come up with the next content ideas. We know it's the core of digital marketing. So the question to Melanie was, you know, what was her advice to businesses that do struggle to create content?
8: Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things, I don't know why this is, but this happens to be my superpower. Like coming up with content ideas is, it's not something I've really struggled with. I mean, with rare exception, as all of us have, when you're sick or you've got something, you know, tragic happening in your life, you know, sure it's, it's hard to focus. Um, But for the most part, I know that when I sit down to come up with content ideas, it's going to work um you know i say the same thing as a speaker i'm blessed that usually when i open my mouth to start a sentence i know it's going to come to an end and make sense like these are two things that i take for granted right but i think that what i tried to do with the book honestly was like teach people exactly how i'm doing that and a big part of it comes from studying as a journalist we are taught that there is always a new way to tell a story there's always another perspective that hasn't been considered you know there's always a new approach or a new way to bring that story to life and so i just reject the belief that you don't have stories to tell, or there aren't any stories to tell, or you're not capable of finding those stories. And I think a big reason that we feel that is because we're not taught how to find them. And so, you know, a a big part of the book was trying to say, look, this is, it's not something reserved for like the elite few creative people in your life. You know, it's not something that you you can't figure out it's just no one's ever showed you a process for how to do it and so of course if you just sit down in front of a blank document or a whiteboard and you're like ideas I need ideas like come to me ideas like that, that's not going to work for you so if you have some sort of process then hopefully you run into a lot less of that sort of stuck feeling and a lot less writer's block videographer's block whatever we're calling it right
1: She gave some great advice there. You know, at the end of each episode, we asked our guests for one takeaway and Melanie talked about something that really, really resonated with me. Take a listen.
8: I never want to hear any of you say that you are not creative or you can't think creatively. And if you still doubt me, Think about the last time you worried about something going wrong, and all the creative ways you imagined things could go wrong. You are unbelievably creative. You just need the right prompts, and so if you have a system of prompts, you will no longer have that feeling. And I, I reject, I reject that claim. You are a hundred percent creative and capable of, of creative thinking.
0: And I liked Melanie's approach. She was pretty blunt. I mean, there's you know, not being creative is no longer an excuse. So. Hopefully, you know, the audience, she powered them with some tools. You know, she has a fantastic book and she really breaks a lot of that down in this episode. And again, how to create a content marketing framework with Melanie Diesel. And again, that was from episode 22.
1: Another honorable mention that we wanted to make was Cody Butler, episode 23, the 90-day marketing plan. Cody wrote a book called "The 90 Day Marketing Plan." We had him on the podcast to talk about it, the importance of writing things down. But Ryan asked him the question of what inspired him to write the book, "The 90 Day Marketing Plan," and what he had to say,
9: I think, is super important for businesses to hear. Take a listen. When I first really started getting into marketing, I worked for a marketing agency, and it was really it was a pretty horrific situation for me. I mean, I was I was thrown into a situation where they'd neglected a bunch of clients, and and. It was my job to retain those clients to get them back. So, you know, fortunately, there were a bunch of successful clients within that agency. So, I started uh, examining what they were doing and started to see some patterns amongst what they were doing, and started to apply those results to the businesses that I was working with, and and they they all got the results. And then, uh, you know, over over working with the other five thousand businesses now, I see the same things, the same mistakes, and the same results happening. Like I said, success leaves clues. So. The, the thing that most businesses don't really understand is that marketing is the money part of your business. No marketing equals no money. Great marketing equals great money. There's a direct relationship between the, 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 the skill level of your marketing and the money that your business produces. Marketing is the money aspect of your business. So business owners don't really understand that. So they put their focus in the wrong place. They put their focus on systems. They put their focus on products. They put their focus on bookkeeping, you know, any one of a hundred things they can put their focus on, but they don't put their focus on on marketing. So I, I would say like the average business owner should be spending at least 70% of their time on sales and marketing, at least bare minimum. I, I spend probably 90% of my time on sales and marketing. The other 10% or, or the rest of the business, I give it to somebody else because those skills can be can be purchased. But the sales and marketing part can't. So Whereas most business owners, I would say they spend probably 10% of their time on sales and marketing and 90% of time on the business. So they need to flip that around.
0: Yeah. And just to repeat what, what Cody said, and I really think this was a standout. The average business owner should be spending at least 70% of their time on sales and marketing, you know, and, and, and that's huge. And I think a lot of businesses still don't quite put that much emphasis or effort into it. So, really great to hear that Cody mentioned that. And then lastly, we asked what his advice to SMBs that say they just don't have the budget.
9: When someone says I, we don't have the budget or that's not in our budget, what they're actually saying is we've set aside X amount of money to lose this year to feel as though we're doing something to progress the business. That's what they're saying. They're saying we don't understand marketing at all, but we've set aside this amount of money that we're happy to lose this year. Because if they understood, it's like I just said, why would you, why would you limit that deal? So... The, the real question or the question you want, the, the point you want to get to is not how much is this going to cost? But the question you should be asking me or asking yourself is how much can I spend? That that's the real question. So when you, when you start asking questions of yourself like that, how much can I spend? Then, then, you know, your marketing is working because at the end of the day, like the goal, the goal with marketing is to create a vending machine. It's to create a predictable way to, to buy customers basically you have a business when you can buy a two dollar customer for a dollar. That's when you actually have a business. Cody's answer to that really resonated with me and
1: I think you as well because we always talk about the importance of data and if you can see that every dollar you're putting in is generating two dollars in revenue you know you you find the money you find a way to make it work and I think that's a real important takeaway real important lesson from that episode. So we could go on and on, we could talk about more guests. We haven't even talked about the episodes that was just Ryan and I talking, which hopefully provided some value to you as well. But it's truly been a privilege and an honor to do this podcast and we're hoping that 2021 brings
0: even more. Yeah, Chris, it was just exciting to have, you know, the guests that we mentioned there was even more guests we weren't able to fit into this episode. But I'll throw it back to you, Chris. Was there anything that sort of stood out to you, you know, through all this? I know we talked a little bit about our sort of fanboy moments and all that, but any moments through 2020 that you want to highlight?
1: You know, it was a roller coaster year in a lot of ways, right? Financially, from the health crisis standpoint. And it was really interesting. I I think for me, you know, we had so many great guests and I feel truly privileged that they were willing and able to join us on Digital Marketing Happy Hour. But I think my, my takeaway is that everybody is trying to figure this out. There are no playbooks that work for everybody. We're all learning. We're all going through this for the first time. And watching the way businesses adapt, one thing that stands out to me is the empathy and compassion. That has to underline everything that you're doing as a business. You know, when you're creating new content, when you're creating your advertising plans, when you're coming up with what that next product and service is going to be, the ones that have empathy and compassion for their customers and are thinking about them throughout the whole process, those are the ones that are having the most success. And hopefully that's a trend we'll continue to see throughout 2021 and beyond. What about you, Ryan? Anything stand out to you in particular?
0: First of all, I want to think about some of the guests that we had. And I will say the one thing that the common denominator is they were all approachable and they were so kind. And I'm just grateful that they were able to spend a little bit part of their day on this this podcast. So That's one of the things that really just stood out to me. They all brought value and added something in their their own way. And it's easy to say, go back and listen to them all. But I think we did highlight some of the, uh, the things that really stood out to us during this time. But the big thing at the end of the day, it really comes back to is you have to understand your audience. You have to know what interests them and you have to deliver your content, your messaging, where they live, not necessarily where you want to be. If your audience is not necessarily on TikTok, maybe TikTok shouldn't be your priority put that down as a nice to have down the road and test it out. So to me, it was, you know, where each of them had something very unique, but there was a common trait among all of them. One, it was all about content. Two, it was all about understanding your audience. And I would say even listening to them more, as opposed to just immediately as Bryn, you know Tillman talked about was, you know, you connect with somebody and they immediately pitch them. Understand them more before you get to that, That approach. So to me, that was kind of the common theme and sort of the highlight that we learned from our guests that brought it in 2020.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this has been a tremendous year in a lot of ways for us. Thank you for listening. No episode of Digital Marketing Happy Hour would be complete without the Keep It Light segment. But you know what, Ryan, let's do something a little bit different. Instead of coming up with something new that we're reading or binge-watching, if you had to pick the favorite you know, TV series that you binge watched, or maybe book that you read, or maybe one of each, what would be your choices? What was your best of 2020?
0: So there's a couple of things to, to really touch on before I get into what I was most interested. I want to talk about one highlights that you and I talked about briefly before we started recording this episode. And one of that I think is the power of social media in truly being yourself. And when you do that, there is that rare occasion that something can go viral and completely change your life. And, you know, I want to touch on, you know, everybody remembers the TikTok video of 420 Dogface 208 on TikTok. He works in Idaho. He's on his skateboard listening to Fleetwood Mac and, you know, drinking some Ocean Spray cranberry juice. And that little bit, I mean, you want to talk about what the definition of going viral is? It was that. And it was a life-changing experience for uh, Nathan Opodaka. I could be butchering his his name. But it was a life-changing experience for him where he ended up being able to get enough money to move from, uh, I believe it was an RV, to a house. It actually impacted Fleetwood Mac uh, to a song that is was decades old, was now trending. So to me, I think it's just the power of being, I hate to use this buzzword, authentic and being your true self on social media. And it truly can be life changing. And now this wasn't a business account. This was just the sort of average Joe producing content on TikTok. But if I think of businesses take that same approach, they could also have, you know, a little bit of a business life changing event themselves. So that's one thing I thought was really great to come out with. Again, it goes back to authenticity. For me, what I really kind of binge watched and enjoyed, I actually did get on TikTok. I haven't produced anything, but I can see how addicting TikTok is and how you can just get lost in watching videos. And they're just short snippets over and over again. Um, So that was kind of new for me. and, And I really kind of enjoyed it and starting to see how it has adapted to the business side of things. From shows that I watched, I tell you what, it was really for me in the second half of 2020 where I discovered shows. The Queen's Gambit is right up there with one of the ones I absolutely loved. The Undoing, uh, that was an HBO show with Nicole Kidman and and Hugh Grant. Those two really jumped out at me. And then I got into uh, The Boys. I know it came out in 2019, but I didn't jump into it in season two in, in 2020. So those are some of the shows that really that I enjoyed. What did you get out of 2020 that you binged?
1: Oh man, I, I agree with you. A lot of good shows. I think if I had to pick a series that I enjoyed the most, I would put Queens Gambit up there as well. I, that you know, seven episodes, a little mini series. There's not going to be any more, but compelling storytelling, excellent acting, just really, really good show. And then if I had to pick a book, you know, it's an old one, but I've had High Output Management by Andy Grove on my shelf for the longest time. It was always recommended to me and i picked it up years ago and just never had a chance to read it and this year i finally sat down and i understand why it was so heavily recommended truly one of the best middle management books i have ever read uh hoping to read some more stuff i know andy grove only only wrote a few things but um largely considered the godfather of of management for his success at intel and the way he translates that so i think for me that book was just really really eye-opening this year and uh Man, you know, it's interesting. You look back on all the things that you watched and you read over the course of the year and it starts to add up, you know?
0: Yeah, no doubt, Chris. We want to hear from you. Let's look back at 2020. Let us know what you loved. Let us know what you want to hear more of. And of course, if there's anything you disagreed with, we always want to hear your feedback. Send us an email, podcast at com. That's podcast at a r a x a m. Dot com. Also hit us up on social media. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just do a search Ryan Smith marketing. It's like 50 million of us. Probably the easiest way to find me. Uh, you can also do a search for Araxum in LinkedIn. You can find Chris and I both there. If you're on Twitter or Instagram, the handle's the same, Ryan Smith FLA.
1: And I'm on Twitter at Real Chris Casale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S C-A-S-A-L-E. And of course on LinkedIn as well, you can find me under Chris Casale. You can find me under Araxum. And of course, you can find me under Digital Marketing Happy Hour. And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it has remained our mom's favorite podcast throughout all of 2020.
0: And on that note, thanks, everybody, for a great 2020 on the podcast. Thanks, everyone.
1: Be kind to each other and Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits is a song called In My Pocket by Jazzer. You can find it on their album, Message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.